This is the Low Level Hell Podcast, episode 27. Welcome to the Low Level Hell Podcast, a program that explores the world of rotary and fixed-wing combat aviation through the exciting stories of the men and women who experienced it firsthand. Now, here's your host, U.S. Army helicopter pilot, Brian Harris. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 27. We're back at it, and uh, it's going to be a little bit different episode than you're used to, certainly different than I'm used to recording, but I had a great time, and I hope you guys do too. Before we get into that, I just want to give a little update. I just recently retired from the Army after 22-ish years, something like that, and uh, also completed the Airline Transport Pilot Certification Training Program down in Florida, and I'll be taking that uh, knowledge test for the FAA uh, next week, I think on the 7th. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get through that without a hitch and then we'll start work, uh, mid April at the new airline that I'm going to, I'll be doing about a month of training and getting uh, checked off on the 737. So I'm pretty excited about that. And, uh, it's also nice to have just kind of a lot of free time to myself and not have to worry about, uh, anything, honestly, it's, uh, it's a little bit weird to get used to. Anyhow, just a, a fair warning as we roll into this episode, like I said, it is a little bit different and it's a little bit fun, but it's also, uh, it's got some language. And uh, I didn't really want to edit all that out because it's really just some guys chatting. So uh, maybe don't listen to this at work on your loudspeakers or maybe not with the kids while you're driving them to school. So anyhow, I hope you guys enjoy it and we'll talk to you in a bit. I think we're just going to we're just going to roll right into it. We're just going to go live. So here we are, uh, episode, I think this is going to be episode 27. I don't even know anymore, uh, but we're going to do something a little bit different. We've got uh, multiple guests with us, not one, not two, but three guests. We'll start here with, we've got Derek Walton, Joe Lockridge, and Scott Hamilton, who are three wonderful American soldiers, uh, some, some former, some still serving, and uh, I had the pleasure to serve with all three of them uh, out of Fort Hood, Texas, and we deployed together. And we're going to do something a little bit different today than uh, the normal. Uh, we're going to just kind of talk about deployment life and some of the silly crap that happens. And um, and I think we, we had some some interesting adventures together, uh, particularly uh, the Rider 27, which I, I think is what I'm just going to call this episode because <laughs> I, I couldn't think of what else to, to title it. So, but we'll That's get into fantastic. that. But, but first, we'll... Uh, We'll do a quick uh, intro, just each of you, uh, just tell us uh, a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and, and a little bit, little snippet of Army experience. Derek, we'll, we'll start with you. All right. Uh, as Brian said, I'm, I'm Derek Walton. I spent uh, about nine years on active duty, started off in the OH-58D Kiowa Warrior. Uh, when that went away, I transitioned to the 64 Delta very briefly, uh, and then I jumped over to the 64 Echo. Uh, originally from Richmond, Virginia. Uh, I'm now out. Uh, I work as a contractor to the DOD, and uh, I now live up in Northern Virginia uh, and work out of the Pentagon. So that's my quick about me. Awesome. And uh, Joe? Sweet. <clears throat> yep, Joe Lockridge. Um, currently still serving. Uh, I'm with 1st of the 101st here at uh, Fort Campbell, uh, Apache uh, Maintenance Test Pilot. 
CW3 um, just promoted last February. Congratulations. Um, oh, thanks. Um, prior experience, I uh, enlisted as an infantryman uh, for three years. Uh, I was qualified as a sniper in a reconnaissance platoon there at 3-3-CR. Um, and then prior to that, I uh, was a cop for six years in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I uh, worked SWAT and narcotics um, and graduated from LSU, and I claim Baton Rouge, Louisiana as my home. Which, if I recall, you being a cop was, was more dangerous than all of your Army time combined. 100%. That's a factual statement. <laughs> Shot like multiple times, if I remember correctly. Three, three times in the same instance. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, anyway. And we have Scott Hamilton. <laughs> if you could follow that up. Okay. Okay, he can't follow that up. No. Yeah, uh, Scott Hamilton uh, spent 21 years in the Army. Uh, about 10 and a half years in the infantry, uh, spent the most of my time in the infantry in the uh, sniper platoon or sniper section recon platoon, uh, kind of went a little bit everywhere. Uh, and then I switched over to become a warrant officer and uh, flew Kiowas for about five and a half, six years, and then retired those and transitioned over to the Apache H64. Uh, basically, Retired here out of Fort Hood, and uh, now I continue to live here in the uh, area and uh, started my own company after I retired, and uh, that's what I do now, living the retired dream. And I, I have to tell the story. I know you know I'm probably going to tell it of how I first met you in particular. So uh, <laughs> the year was 2000. 10 I believe and uh, first squadron 17th cab had just come back from deployment and we had a ton of woges warrant officer junior grades which are basically brand new pilots and uh, and Scott was one of them and uh, we all the, the troop commanders had this idea that we should have a a woge um, draft that we should decide which woge goes to which troop as opposed to the personnel people just kind of deciding so we had these feats of strength and uh and one of the feats of strength that I recall is the cinnamon challenge of taking a spoonful of cinnamon and putting it in your mouth for as long as possible. So we had this, this hail and farewell, which is really just an excuse to wear cowboy hats and, and drink beer. And, uh, and we had them go through all these different, uh, feats of strength. I think one of them was, uh, uh, impersonations too, wasn't it Scott? It was. Yeah. You guys, uh, yeah, I remember that because I, I was in charge of setting that Hill and Farewell up. That was my, uh, you guys came back and I was tasked with uh, putting that together. So I had to, you know, make sure that I didn't screw that up. And uh, yeah. we got that put together. And uh, one of the, uh, we, had, we did multiple things there, but yeah, impersonations yeah. was one of them. Um, I did, yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, but uh, the cinnamon challenge is the one I remember because you know here's here's this line of of new pilots standing there, and they all put the cinnamon in their mouth and they all spit it out within you know a second or two, except for Scott. Just, <laughs> his his mouth game is on point. He's able to hold that cinnamon <laughs> for. I, I want to say it was something like thirty or forty seconds till finally lost it. Maybe maybe I'm exaggerating, but it was an impressive feat of strength. So well done. Yeah, that's right. I think I was doing handstand push-ups with the cinnamon in my mouth on that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you doing. were. Now that you yeah, it. yeah you, you were putting on a show, so uh, it was well played. 
Well, um, only yeah, Scott's so, stubborn enough to do that, dude. By the way, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's we didn't know at the time it was just stubbornness. Um, mm-hmm. and which which I then saw with him when he transitioned to Apaches, because <laughs> he hated flying with the Pinvis. He hated it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I hated a lot of things about aircraft. <laughs> yeah, which is important distinction because Joe's our only pure Apache guy. Everybody else was a 58 guy, so we all came over uh, probably with different expectations and, and things. And certain things were certainly cool, and certain things were kind of like, why the hell is it like this? But all right, I digress. Uh, well, like I said, really the, the point of this episode is to just kind of just tell funny stories essentially uh we've all had some interesting experiences deployed and i don't think that people who've never deployed can fully grasp just the i don't know how to describe it the insanity and stupidity that sometimes comes with with sitting around uh waiting for things to happen so derek in your own words if you could just tell tell us about a a day in the life of sitting on qrf oh wow it could be riveting at times um (laughs) You know, we'd, we'd wake up, uh, sometimes we'd work out in the morning, sometimes in the evening, we'd, we'd go up to the talk and, you know, get our ops and Intel brief and figure out, you know, what we, what we needed to be prepared for, for the day. Um, occasionally, you know, we'd get the direct admission, which was exciting for everybody, but, um, you know, on QRF, yeah, it was a lot of eating, um, a lot of, uh, telling jokes and stories and watching videos and working out and, uh, a little bit of planning here and there for the missions that we knew were actually going to happen. Um, I mean, that, that really is a day on QRF, just sitting around waiting for the call. Um, and if we were lucky, uh, you know, Chris, the Prince of Erbil would have sourced us a steak meal from, you know, the CIA or whoever it was that he knew. <laughs> <laughs> Those fried shrimp that he used to bring, dude, were amazing. Yeah. The fried shrimp. I don't uh-huh. remember that one. I'd eat pallets of those, dude. <laughs> yeah, that's it, man. That's that's QRF in a nutshell. And then you hope you do or hope you don't get the call. Yeah. Yeah, especially that last trip because we were doing a lot of sitting around. We didn't get mm-hmm. launched very much at all. It was very different from my previous tours. Um, I'm sure I'm probably speaking for everyone else with that one. There was a lot of sitting around, which which led to a lot of buffoonery and uh, and, and movie watching. Yeah, I think we had a pretty good, I mean, there in uh, where we were at, we had a good schedule. But uh, like you said, prior deployments, it was pretty much any time you'd come in, you never really knew what was going to happen. But I think on that last one, yeah, for sure. It was definitely a wake up, do your routine, go in, do your routine. And we did have a lot of free time. Yeah. Yeah. And and Scott, you know, that was, that was really just the second half of the deployment because the first half, you know, we were further down South and I mean, we were, we were flying missions every day down there. So it was kind of an an abrupt stop to to what we'd been doing. Oh yeah, we were, yeah, we were definitely busy. We were doing work. That's for sure. Yeah, that's true. When you guys were at uh, was that, that was a Q West. Yep. If I remember correctly. Um, That was a a wild setup you guys had. Cause I know I came down there to visit you guys for a few days and, uh, you know, I was living large up in Erbil, had my own room, show up down there, and you guys have Tent City set up, and you've got the, uh, which, which actually was nice. I mean, the way it was set up was, was really cool. Um, yeah. I, I was a little jealous. But it was much hotter there. I felt like it was like 15, 20 degrees hotter there. 
The flies were the worst. The flies were terrible. <clears throat> and the Phantom um, Slammer. And the <laughs> yeah, see, yeah, tent, so, city, tent City was nice because, yeah, when it came to us having our own, you know, CPs, our command posts, um, and having our own areas to just kind of hang out, we were pretty much isolated. But when it came to the tents where we had to sleep, Sleeping with 120 people in one tent is definitely uh, not cool when you're uh, when you're on shift, and in yeah. in in comes the phantom slammers, you know, when <laughs> when you have to deal with that kind of stuff. Yeah. So Joe, describe what what is the phantom slammer? <clears throat> so, you, you know, I, I first encountered it uh, working <laughs> working nights, you know, because we were we were all kind of swing shifting nights and days uh, on QRF out there. And uh, Scott and I, 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 I should say, I had the pleasure of being on nights with Scott so that I could experience this at its finest. <laughs> and it was, there was no, there was no exception to the day of the week that it was. And without <laughs> fail, it was every day. Scott and I would, we'd be walking down the hall to our little hooch area because they had, so to, to explain this giant tent that housed 120 people, um, it, it, it's, you have to set it up like so it's it's this ginormous circus tent um with uh two by four uh and plywood structured walls on the inside to kind of partition it out to make uh two-man rooms i think and um so because of that if anyone had a light on or anything you could see the lights on in the individual cubicles like that's the best way to call it like our little cubicle rooms yeah. Um, well, they put us at the very end of the tent, uh, with an exit door that happened to lead to the restroom, uh, and the shower facility. Uh, and Scott was in the very last room that was directly next to the exit door. I was in the room just one down from Scott. <laughs> and so not only were we trying to sleep during the day, so every time that door would open, that the entire portion of our tent would illuminate with the uh, outside light. Right. Um, but if people were not courteous, uh, <laughs> that that door would slam itself shut. It was on a spring mechanism. Yeah. It was like a big metal door too. It was a big fucking metal door. Yeah. I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss Brian, so I apologize. You're good. All right. <laughs> All right. I'll say it. Hail Mary. Um, so, <laughs> Every morning, Scott and I would get in. We'd be crawling into bed about six thirty, seven. Um, and uh, I swear to God, this woman would time it to where we'd be half asleep or asleep. It would be like thirty minutes after getting into bed, you know, getting ready, doing everything, you know, that you needed to do, changing into your to your, uh, you know, your shorts and shirt, shower and all that. And it was when we would get comfortable and in bed. There, the door would open and slam, and it would sometimes. Some, uh, and this is not an exaggeration. Sometimes the person that would slam this door, I'm getting angry about it now. Sometimes the person that would slam the door would run down the fucking hallway, like sprinting, as if they were running to or from a threat. Right? It was like kids, man, running down the hallway. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. And Scott, every time. Would be like, mother fuck, who's slamming the goddamn door? But, however, Scott was already in his bed, right? Scott's already in his bed and tired from a night shift, so he didn't want to get out to pursue this person. 
Well, as weeks go on, finally Scott decides he's going to pursue this person. Well, this this person somehow was able to outmaneuver Scott, there, which is an impossibility <laughs> in itself. And that's about the time, uh, Brian, where you showed up to, for a visit from Erbil. <laughs> and we we put you in one of the rooms adjacent to Scott and I, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was close to the door. And so we had briefed you on this, and you were ready for it. You were fucking ready. You were like, I'm going to catch the Phantom Slammer. And Scott's like, yeah. all right, good, good luck. Good luck, sir. You know, we've been unsuccessful at it. Yeah. Well, well, one day... <laughs> One day, said Phantom Slammer comes by, and you were visiting us from Merbil, and the door shut, and I heard you fucking hop up out of bed because I think you had your shoes. <laughs> hey, did you have your shoes on? Like what? Like you were ready? I don't right? even. I I don't think that I was like camped out ready. Yeah, I think the timing was just right, if I recall. Mm. And I was like, this this won't this this won't stand. <laughs> my, my boys need help, and I'm this here. Is, this, this is why I came to Erbil. <laughs> <laughs> so, right, so I hear, and, and I'll, I'll finish it, and then you can, and then you can explain exactly what took place, uh, Brian. So <laughs> okay. I hear Brian say "motherfucker," and he hops up and he's out of his tent. And I'm excited. I'm like, "All right, dude, let's see what happens." Imagine Harris is going to go get this person, dude. He's going to be some poor little Joe, and he's going to be on duty for the next three months, dude. Well, he jumps up, runs out there, and I hear, I hear this like, "Hey, hey." Dude. And, then I, and, then, and then I hear all of a sudden the, the whole tone and inflection of his voice gets soft. It's like, oh, you know, uh, you know, we have soldiers in here and uh, these folks are trying to sleep and they're, they're working nights. And, uh, you know, if you would just be cautious and, 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 and more polite uh, and aware of what these soldiers are doing, we'd sure appreciate it. And then, and then I heard, OK, thank you, ma'am. And then he come back in. And then later on that day, I found out the story. And, uh, Brian, you could pick up from there, dude. Well, I remember, I don't remember being that courteous, but maybe, maybe I was, I don't know. I just <laughs> remember I, being, <laughs> I, I, hear, I heard a door slam and I ran to that, to that door and I exit and, and I said, Hey, did you just slam that door? And this person that turns around is like this thousand year old woman. <laughs> Wearing, I want to say like Navy PTs. Yeah, because so there was, was yeah, a Navy right. hospital there. Yeah, yeah. you were all Navy personnel in that tent. Fucking chase down someone's grandma. Yeah, I chased this old woman down, and she looked befuddled as shit um, that I had said something to her. And then, well, and then I told you guys the story, and then you guys like suddenly, well, wait, no, that's that's Mimar. What, what, what did you call her? Yeah, we we oh, called Paula me. Dean. Because she would make you guys it. cookies and stuff or something. Like she 100%. was like <laughs> she was like the fob mom, and she yeah. looked like it too. She was a short, thick, plump little woman. She was very pleasant. She'd yeah. be ashamed of yourself. So Except for the door two, slamming. There was two <laughs> phantom slammers. You had Paula Dean, the one who wrecked her life. And then, <laughs> and then so the other one, and I remember talking to um, one of the Navy, I don't yeah, it was one of their officers, but uh, one of the guys that he would sprint down the hallway. So he was this little troll that would play games all night long because he didn't have any other job to do, apparently. He would play video mm-hmm. games all night long, and he was one of those guys that got so into his video games that he would like just sit there and, and drink and eat and all that stuff. Well, he would never use a restroom, and oh, so, no. oh yeah, 
And so what he would do was sit there and play games all day. And it just, you know, I guess the time he had to piss or take a dump, whatever it was, happened to be right <laughs> during shift change as we were getting into bed, getting ready to sleep. And he'd go sprinting down the hallway. And that was one of the first Phantom Slammers. It was, so it was him and Paula Dean. And, and I always asked him, maybe I'm like, man, what is up with that guy? And they're like, oh, yeah, no, he does that every night. He sits there and plays video games until he has to, you know, basically piss his pants. And then he jumps up and he runs down the tent and slams the door. So that was the other Phantom Slammer. But we never Amer met him. America's yeah. finest. <laughs> he was good. Yeah. He was quick, man. <laughs> you know that 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 tent life though. That tent was that tent was rough, man. I, I remember. I don't remember what day of the week it was. I think it was like Wednesday, <clears throat> where we'd be like mid sleep, like deep in REM sleep. You know, you're like you're dreaming about flying your Apache in outer space, and next thing you know, like all the <laughs> lights go on and like samba music turns on, and they're like vacuuming out the oh, entire God. tent city. Oh yeah, yes, and you're like, what Thursday, are they doing? Weekly vacuuming. Yeah. Thursdays, I forgot about right? that. And they, yeah. they didn't grasp the concept of, because normally, and just kind of explain it, normally when we, we would deploy, we would always be with, with like personnel. So, you know, as aviators, we'd be with aviators. I remember, um, you know, in multiple Afghanistan deployments, we'd be in our little bee huts um, to where it was like, you know, if you're in the bee huts, you're walking in and it's sectioned off rooms with, it's just a tinder box, you know, at any point in time, this thing could burst into flames because it's just been there for <laughs> however many years, but uh, you had your own individualized room within kind of, you know, this little, it was a hut. I mean, just imagine a, a wooden hut, but we always had shift personnel that knew how to handle people being on shift. They knew how to be quiet. They knew how to, you know, operate around other people on the same shifts or different shifts. Uh, not the Navy. Nope. You don't know how to do shift work. Well, it's funny because I maybe I was thinking of, of the Phantom Slammer the other day, but I, I was having this memory that I had repressed of uh, of living in <laughs> Afghanistan and, and even my first tour in Iraq where you'd be living in your shoes and stuff, which were just, you know, the containerized units and it's just you and another person perhaps. But they would do the the, the uh, air conditioning maintenance and and dudes would come in and, you know, you'd wake up and there's like, an Afghan dude or somebody like looking at your air conditioner with a guard, you know, and they're like messing with your air conditioner. It's like, you've been asleep for like three hours. So yeah, it's it, it that lifestyle. It's so weird that they can't like figure out that there's a ton of us who don't walk around during the day, you know, that not, not all business needs to be done in daylight. But, um, but yeah, I do remember that you, you turn all the lights on and doing all the vacuuming. That was not awesome. No. I felt bad for you guys. That was terrible. Well, what was that? Uh, there was one night I remember in the tent where one of the fuelers is ported. Um, yep. He got he take he took a bath in JP8 one night. Oh, um, I remember. Oh, that's what it was. So I think one of the one of the um, I, I'm going to butcher this because I'm not a fueler, obviously, but wherever they attach the high pressure unions, I guess one of them like blew off, and he went and, like jumped on it or something. I, I don't even remember, but he got, the guy was doused in JP8 and he, he came back in the tent and he took that uniform off and he just lay, laying in the tent. <laughs> and I remember coming in one night and I opened the door because we always entered on the far end on the opposite door. And that JP8 smell hit me so hard. And I was like, and people are in there sleeping. 
I'm like, how many yeah. people are going to have brain damage because this guy left his freaking <laughs> uniform just laying in here? <laughs> and it was so bad to where, I, you know, we couldn't end up sleeping. I couldn't sleep anyway. I would yeah. track this kid down. And I was like, look, dude, you got to get that thing out of there. And he was like, well, it's like one of my only uniforms. I'm like, oh, give a shit. Get it out of there. <laughs> I'm not trying to die because that's your only uniform. But uh, yeah, that it was like Derek said, that that tent life is uh, it's rough because everybody's individualized and they just don't really think outside of their cubicle. So the, the Phantom Slammer was good, but I think my, my favorite overall for that entire time in that tent was, you know, Scott, you were asleep one night or, or, or one day, whatever time it was, trying to sleep at least. And I remember that there was a group of soldiers because I had showered and come back in and I was further down. I was like kind of in the middle of the tent. So I, I didn't have, I couldn't hear uh, a lot of the stuff that Scott and Joe were dealing with, but I remember that there was like a group of soldiers that were sitting outside the door, like right outside your door. And they were like having like this freestyle battle, like back oh, and God. forth. And, <laughs> and, and oh, I, remember I, remember, I remember Scott getting up and you can't tell this story without profanity, but I remember hearing like, you just start hearing like the ruffling of like army PT shorts, like against a man's legs. And then I just hear the footsteps and I hear the door swing open and, you know, thrown open. It slams against the side of the tent. And then I just heard Scott light those guys up like, Hey, let me tell you something. I don't give a shit what you do in your awful hometown, but let me tell you what you're not going to do right next to my bed. You're not going to make all this racket. Now shut the fuck up. It was hilarious, man. That was, that was one of my favorite interactions probably in my entire time in the service. I forgot about that. Yeah. They were having a good uh, freestyle battle outside. Good times. So what is this about Joe's towel? Oh man. So when we, once we moved up North, we went from living in tent city to living in, <clears throat> excuse me, four person shoes, like what you were talking about. And I don't know how that thing lasted a whole deployment, but like, you know, those like really garbage Brown towels that the army issues you when you join, like if yeah. you try to wrap it around your body, like yeah. you might make it, you might make it from mid cheek around to like mid cheek, like it, 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 it's not going all the way around your waist. Well, you know, consider that Joe is like a gargantuan human. And yeah. it was just this tiny, disgusting towel that looked like he had used it to like change his brakes on his car. It looked like he had washed it in pure bleach. Uh, like I, I, it had been through some stuff, man. That's all I'm getting at. And like Joe would come back from from doing his laundry, and he'd pull all his stuff out. And, like you'd see that towel, and you'd know it was clean. You knew he just pulled it out of the wash. But you'd walk out of that shoe, and you'd like it was like a three foot bubble around that towel. Man, you just nobody wanted to get near that thing. <laughs> well, uh, you got you know, Joe for to put Joe into perspective. Joe's about six three, six four, about two hundred and thirty pounds of pure brick shit house. So you got <laughs> a guy this size using a loincloth to dry his body off. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, like, you know, at what point in time was Joe going to walk from the shower to the chew with his loincloth on? Because he, like, maybe forgot his shorts or something. And then, yeah, it'd be like Derek... him wearing a mini skirt, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then Derek was just going to get his ass chewed out because Joe decided to wear a loincloth from point A to point B. Well, 
I have sentimental value attached to that thing, and I don't appreciate the fact that you guys don't appreciate that I had to spend no money on it. All right. <laughs> the plot twist, he's probably still using it. Yeah. I don't I don't know where it is, boys. I, I hate to say that I, I think the to- the brown towel may have gone. <laughs> it's for the best show. Well, it had a good life. <laughs> so that- there was the speaking of choose, so you guys did move up to Reveal and we got you into those container units, but there was something about a pentagram being being drawn on them. Yeah, so I don't know if you guys remember this, but this oh, one stuck with me. Oh, I remember it because it was, it was our so building. <laughs> we were, we were talk again, we talked earlier about how like on QRF, you just, just mindless banter and movies and whatever when you have your downtime. And at some point we started like just talking about like super, supernatural stuff. And I remember that Ryan... Our, our troop SP, one of our troop SPs, he like tells us this story about how he had like a supernatural experience when he was a kid or something. And I was like just dying because I thought he was – I couldn't tell if he was kidding or if he was being serious. And I, I still to this day, I'm not sure if he was kidding. But I, I immediately decided to make fun of him for it, whether it was true or not. <laughs> And so, the trauma is totally on the, on the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so like I found, no I found like chalk, <laughs> like, yeah, like I found chalk. I don't know where it was. Like maybe at like the chaplain's tent or something. And I came back and I just started drawing like pentagrams, like all over the chew. So I like put this huge one on the door and then, uh, the lights at night in the chew were, were almost like black lights. And, yeah. um, so I took highlighters and on the top of his bunk, like if he was laying back in his bunk, looking up, I drew with highlighter, like pentagram. So it like lit up and like, it was glowing when he was trying to sleep. And, uh, one night he was, he was in like a deep sleep. And so I took all this stuff like milk cartons and like plastic forks and spoons and fruit. And I built what we dubbed the satanic shrine up on the top of his bunk. And, uh, he, uh, Needless to say, I, yeah, Ryan, uh, Ryan got it pretty bad from us there when he first joined the troop because he came late on the deployment. So yeah, he got there the last couple months. Yeah. And and who was the commander of this unit? Uh, that was me. That was me. <laughs> <laughs> lead, lead by example, Ryan. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Fun yep. was no, it was great times, Taking man. care of soldiers. Yeah. Exactly. You know they did. They did the uh, they did the AC uh, like what you were talking about the shoes the AC maintenance at night they used to do it they were doing it up there in northern Iraq too and yeah. man it would be like 118 degrees and we'd be sleeping through the day and like they would just cut your AC for hours and we'd wake oh, up you know just yeah. sweating through your clothes and you're like what are they doing I remember that yeah that that was terrible like I think there was a power sh- like I think around the time you guys moved up there was a, a little bit of a power shortage or something because they were like adding new stuff and yeah I forgot about that it would be for hours and those things I mean it's just it's just a metal box in the desert and you're just you're just living yeah, in a metal it. Yeah. metal box with what Start they have to- over it those uh <laughs> Those camo nets over the top. Yeah, they had the camo netting over. Yeah. <laughs> the old woodland camo nets that they found from the it, Cold War era. It, if I were ISIS spotting, I would just be like, aim for that green blob right there. That's where right, the gems yeah. are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, good Lord. Um, oh, let's see. But, but, but I think that you uh, can agree that the food – 
deployed was was pretty decent at least for us i mean i know some of you guys were in the infantry for a while so the infantry can very easily be stuck where where food is not a priority but typically in aviation we we live pretty good uh overall um and i think we had pretty decent food it was good food down at uh qs too mm-hmm. yeah um, well yeah, hey, that's it so the guy funny story about that um is the i don't know if it's funny so much as it is just kind of you know we uh, get there and we were doing the rip out with the uh, the relief in place with uh, the unit that was there before us. And they had a pretty good chow hall. I mean, for what it was, because, I mean, you got to think about being in the middle of nowhere, Iraq, um, at this, you know, fob. Um, but they had all the contracting food and stuff like that. But uh, uh, we get in there and, and it was okay. It was all right. Um, you know, I think Joe was disappointed at the lack of balsamic vinegar. It balances your pH, bro. So Joe, so Joe takes, <laughs> Joe puts his fist down and he's like, I've had to do shit. Uh, so he, Joe goes and finds the like head dude, right? <laughs> Who happened to be from Louisiana. Who happened to be from Louisiana. (laughs) And, and, you know, Joe being from Louisiana, these guys start chatting it up. And uh, so Joe and I fly a, uh, we flew flew a Saints and an LSU flag for the guy. And uh, on on one of our our flights, I think, and uh, Mm -hmm. came back. And next thing you know, like the next morning, these fools were serving like stuffed peanut butter and jelly French toast with, I mean, chow just... (laughs) In, you know, <laughs> increased across the board, hundred percent. And fresh and and fresh local fruit uh, fruits, dude. Do you remember uh, the dates and the uh, mangoes they had for us? Oh yeah, I mean yeah, and, and it's just stuff like that. You know, you, you you meet somebody or you guys happen to share like some small thing, and it's amazing at uh, yeah. how you can get that stuff turned around. That was pretty uh pretty legit. You remember they gave us a whole cheesecake for Shearhouse's birthday? <laughs> oh yeah, they did. They did. Uh-huh. Yeah, I remember the balsamic vinaigrette being a big thing. And yeah. And the thing about Joe is he's very he's infectious as as character, right? So you spend a lot of time with him and you start to like you start to enjoy the things that he enjoys because he's so uh positive about it, you know, and you're just like <laughs> like I, I I don't have any special affinity for balsamic, but 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 he's he's putting it on everything. I'm like, yeah, I, I like it too. And I'm just next thing you know, I'm looking for it and put it on my salad and stuff because yeah, it balances your pH. So um, yeah, I, yeah. I do recall that. And working yeah. out, of course, is Joe's a, a beast in the gym. Oh, and, uh, oh yeah, well, Scott, that... our gym in Erbil, Ooh, our yeah. QS, our QS gym, dude. Well, there's oh yeah, you had that prison, certain... that, yeah. that prison. Uh, Jim there we did well there's certain priorities that you have to uh, you know priorities of work right and, uh, yeah. <laughs> priorities you know especially when you're when you're going to be somewhere like that because the majority of the places let's be honest they had gyms set up you either had like air force footprint where those guys would come in and have the nicest gym in the world or like some you know special operations had been there and you just kind of like land in on this nice equipment well we get to QS and there is absolutely nothing there but a like they had maybe a plywood kind of platform, maybe 15 by 15 with some free weights. And uh, yeah. so we had Joe and I, I think we flew in 
Scott, we were remember. there for we were there for 24 hours. Yeah, that's right. We, we, we were we there landed for... at like three in the morning, <laughs> and we, we... <laughs> we were there for 24. I'm gonna cut you off real quick. Dude. We were there for 24 hours, and Scott and I, like Scott and I, like are on different spectrums. But when it comes to temperament and, and aggression, we're we are on the same plane. And and I'm I'm pinging. And I look over and Scott's pinging and Scott looks at me. He's like, bro, we got to fucking build a gym. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes, dude, we got to, we got to sort this out. We got to sort this out right this minute. So our first mine and Scott's first, like the, the senior W3 of the troop in, in the maintenance pilot, our first order of effect uh, when we hit ground in our bill was not like, where's the fight? Let's not progress. Let's not get our local area orientation. <laughs> I wasn't like, what do my aircraft look like? Scott and I are building a fucking gym <laughs> next to the chews, dude. Huh, Scott? Yeah. That's, that is true. I was, uh, yeah, because being the AMSO, I was like, okay, let me get all the data loaded up and all the maps. No, 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 no. We were like, who's the Bob Mayor? Okay, where's all your equipment? We did. We went, it was at a female lieutenant. Joe and yep. I went and hijacked a, a LMTV. We drove that thing halfway across the fog. They opened up this big old shipping container, and Joe and I just we grabbed like five dudes from a different unit, and made them load up all these weights in the back of the LMTV. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was there was a bunch of infantry kids standing around, and Scott goes, "Hey, <laughs> Scott looks at him and he goes, hey, hey, we need help loading this shit right now.' They're like, "Okay, chief," <laughs> and that was that was really my first time uh, with. Because, you know, I was pretty, I was still pretty junior, you know, and so that was my first time being in aviation as a warrant officer where I realized that junior enlisted soldiers who aren't in aviation actually appreciate you, dude, and respect you. Yeah. <laughs> Scott, yeah. Scott and I fans these kids, and all of a sudden they're loading all this shit into the Zillow TV that he and I had previously stole. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, is like from the commander's perspective, I'm sure you guys remember, but like – when we first got there, we kind of got a change of mission. So I ended up spending like the first three weeks in out in Syria. And so I was getting these daily updates and both of the lieutenants were handling, you know, all the rip and all the setup back in Iraq. And so I, you know, I'd get like a daily update from them telling me what they had accomplished for the day. And, you know, there's like all this mission stuff and then tucked into like every sit rep. It's like, and today Hans and Franz sourced, you know, 185 pounds more of metal plates for the prison gym. And I, I remember like calling back to them on the phone. I'm like, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, oh man. Scott and Joe are just tweaking for a workout. These guys are doing nothing but setting up the gym. And then the pictures started to roll in. And I'm like, God, man, they're, they're really doing some good work over there. That's a sweet gym. It was, I've got pictures of it, man. It was a fantastic gym. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, even I but used that, it when I came to visit you guys. It was, it that's was legit. Right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of FOB mayors, and it was alluded to earlier, uh, we, we did have a, a – a character in our unit, uh, Chris, will remain nameless uh, beyond that, but uh, <laughs> who who had a, a knack, a tendency to uh, to be very involved with other people um, in in various positions, and and be, and was basically created. They created a position for him. So the way it worked, um, and maybe you guys don't know this, uh, we were technically in charge of that airfield from the the U.S. side. Um, 
so the colonel was supposed to be the the senior airfield i can't remember what it, senior airfield authority or something like that i can't remember what it was called hmm. um he didn't want to do it and he basically pawned it off on chris who who i think jumped at the chance to, to do it <laughs> and uh and he went whole hog on that job and uh and yeah so i think we had various names for him i think you said one of them already what what were the various names we the, had the prince of Erbil. Prince of the North. Prince of the North. King of the North. Prince of I think he went yeah. by like the sheriff of Erbil yeah, for a while. Sheriff. Yeah. Sheriff. Well, because he drove around in the, uh, so he drove around that little, uh, what was it, that diesel Ford Ranger? It was a diesel, for, dude, it was <laughs> yeah. the Ford Ranger with a diesel in it before and it, it had, was even released in the U.S. It had sheriff lights on it. And then he, he had the <laughs> That's little, what he had. Yeah, he had the and he had the stickers on the side the that said like airfield managers. <laughs> yes, the magnetic stickers uh, that he would put on that thing. And I remember the, when we first moved over there to Erbil, Joe was like, hey, bro, can I uh, take your truck up to somewhere? Joe gets in that. Oh, Joe and I get in that truck. Joe, he laces into that thing like it's a rally in, in present and just like barrels across Erbil in that thing. Well, it just to... remember it just rained, so like it was ever yeah. it was all muddy everywhere, dude. Yeah, he drove around in that truck. It had an uh, airfield manager on it with the little magnetic stickers with his sheriff lights, and he would pull people over. Mm-hmm. He would like. That's right. Be, I, I remember that. we were going down to. Uh, he and I were flying. We were on the crew one day. I think we were driving down, and somebody didn't stop at a stop sign, and he. Whoop, flipped his lights on and i'm like oh my gosh are we doing this right now i don't know if you guys were there but we we had like vips one day and i can't can't remember who it was i think it might have been like congress people yeah we were like uh, yeah yeah and we're like bringing them down to the airfield and like somehow in conversation they had come up and we had joked like yeah like you know we got to go the speed limit or or one of our guys is going to write us for a ticket or something and like literally like right after we said that we turned down onto that final stretch going down to the to the tent where the aircraft were and he had a car pulled over on the side of the road that he was like you know yelling at like some young soldiers for driving too fast and we just lost it and these like vips are just like what are these people what are they laughing at you're right i forgot all about the lights cuz he did pull people over that is 100% accurate i yeah. god the things you forget no whole bar yeah, he, man he loved he loved that role um, oh, yeah, do you remember? Do, do you remember the um, the the uh, gyrocopters? Yes. Oh yeah. The Erbil gyrocopters flying around. It was like a club, um, wasn't it? Well, I it think was it the was, security. Was, yeah, and wasn't it run by a retired warrant, Brian? Oh, that I don't know. I don't. I don't know about I, that. I always thought it was a bad omen. Whenever we saw it, we joked like, "Up, oh, we're gonna get in a fight today." <laughs> well. I mean, it was wild too, because I remember one time watching two of them take off, like like in combat crews, and I was like, "What in the hell?" But they were actual airfield security. But I remember talking to Chris one day, and we, like one of them flew by, and I was like, "Oh, they got a two seater. Look at they got two seater up there." He's like, "Yeah, I know. I've talked to their uh, chief pilot. I'm probably gonna get a flight with them." And I was like, <laughs> "Come on." <laughs> Well, well, he, uh, yeah, he did. He knew everybody. Absolutely. Yeah, he, he was crafty. 
Because you guys remember we got up there and they stuck us in that tent that was like half torn. And he's like, what do you guys want? And just jokingly, I think we were like, yeah, we want a basketball on a basketball rim. That's right. And like yeah. 30 oh, yeah. minutes later, he rides back with a brand new basketball, <laughs> a brand new rim to hang up on this like plywood backboard. And we're like, Chris, where did you get this? And he's like, I'm the Prince of the North. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he secretly yeah. loved the, the names that you guys made for him. When he got there, I think he yeah. loved the attention. He's a well, he's uh, a great dude, man. And, he and oh, he, yeah, was, he, he really, was a he great guy. So, he yeah. did so much for us, man. It would have been truly without yeah. him, it would have been pretty miserable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Between the yeah, steak we, and shrimp dinners that he brought from the State Department, and yeah. the, me and Scott Joy riding in his sweet ass uh, Ranger with the diesel in it. Uh, yeah, that was a good time, man. Yeah, we're certainly not saying anything that we didn't say directly to his yeah. face because one hundred percent. Yeah, he knows. <laughs> yeah, he knows. He knows who he is. Yeah. <laughs> what is what is the fat JTAC? Oh my god! The what is that about? JTAC. Is that a Q? Is that Q? Oh yeah, no! <laughs> that's the kid. That's the kid in our bill, huh, Scott? No, that was no, the one no. In that that wasn't Q West. Who wouldn't yeah. Who wouldn't clear us on those dudes on that uh, on the Hammer Mountains, huh? Well, I, dude, there was, he was actually, he wasn't bad. Like he really wanted to help us out. Um, uh, I think a lot of the, there's, we won't even go into that, but there was a lot of, um, you know, issues with, with other things where he just had difficulty, you know, clearing us for that. But, uh, I just can't, I can't remember what we used to, there was just a nickname we used to call him. And I think the, the, meaning behind that story which is it's going to suck now because i can't remember the nickname they called him but i'm pretty sure somebody had called him that nickname over the radio instead of his actual call <laughs> sign while we were trying to get clearance um i just i'm I sure was, we did that i can't think of it either oh i know for a fact we did i just don't remember what the nickname was but yeah he was he, he's just portly little fella um and, uh, well, and he had he had red hair too and i think scott has prejudice against that <laughs> uh, no, he, he was a ginger man i have no prejudice against ginger uh. well he uh he, he was um it was actually it was the same night that the that the defect guy at qs gave us the whole cheesecake for alex's birthday um we went and we flew a mission that night it was i was flying with i was flying with ben and alex i think was flying with luis and we were like five minutes off the fob and, you know, we're like looking around and we found these guys that were floating weapons, you know, across the river. And so we immediately, you know, pick up these targets and push into the overhead. And, and the JTAC that night that was working was our boy. And he was back at Q West and, you know, he was watching everything through uh, the UAVs that were overhead. And so he was our clearance of fires for that mission. Well, anyway, so when, when we when we started engaging these guys, you know, they made their way, you know, trying to hide in certain places and get in brush places that we wouldn't be able to see them. So we're shooting and it was kind of hard to tell, you know, what our effects were. Um, you know, did we were we able to do what we were trying to do and, and and did we eliminate the threat? We weren't sure. So at one point I remember, I think it was Ben calling back to the JTAC and just saying, uh, you know, hey, whatever your call sign is can you give us BDA? I know that you've got a UAV overhead. Are you able to see with any fidelity if we've, if you know, we're good here and we can move on. And he just keyed the mic and he came back and I don't remember our call sign that night, but he was like uh rider break. 
And then there was this long pause. And then he just comes back and whispers in the mic, I see dead people. <laughs> and, and I'm like, I'm like, Oh my God, dude. I'm like, this is like, this is a real mission on camera. Everything and, is being recorded, bro. Yeah. And we're just like, okay, okay. Well, I guess we're, uh, I guess we're good here. We can move on with our reconnaissance from, from this point. But yeah, man, that was, I can't remember his nickname. Um, but yeah, uh, every time we had an engagement, you remember he'd come back to the tent and he'd be like, Hey guys, can you show, he like wanted to hear himself like doing like the nine line cast, like on the video. Oh Lord. <laughs> well, well, he did and, plenty and not, of them. And not to you make guys... light of, of shooting it at folks, but I, I do remember one engagement watching, uh, Joe with a pretty spectacular missile shot <laughs> in, a, in a refrigerator. If somebody wants to tell that one. I'll, 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 I'll tell from my Go perspective ahead. and then the yeah. boys can tell it from, uh, their, their perspectives. Cause Scott was gun one, Scott, you and uh Shearhouse were gun one, right? Oh yeah. Alex and I were yeah. gun one on that yeah. one. Tim and I were gun two. So <laughs> from my perspective, it was fantastic. Um, <laughs> and like, like, like we said, we don't, we don't take light of, of, of our job, but you know, sometimes yeah. if you're a bad guy, you get what's coming to you. Sometimes the circumstances, you know, it, they're funny, dude. There's just, there's just no way around it. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm gun too, uh, with Tim in the front and I'm in the front seat. Tim's in the back seat. Scott's in the back seat of uh, gun one. Uh, sure else is in gun, uh, front seat gun one. And, uh, so they're inbound, uh, for a 30. And so to, to set the whole stage, we were unable to dynamically harmonize our 30 millimeter cannon on the Apache uh, for the first few months that we were there because of government, Iraqi government restrictions. Um, and uh, stop me if I'm not allowed to talk about that. But no, no you're uh, good. No, yeah. So, so the the Iraqi government didn't want us shooting without cause, and I think I think that's that's fair. If, if, yeah. if well, if, despite the large tracts of land with no one in it. Right. Uh, right. But yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was the case and, and that will, that's what was going on. So subsequently our guns were not, um, as accurate as they, they could be. And the 30 millimeter cannons are what we primarily use on, you know, troops in the open, uh, in instance. Uh, so, Scott, so from my from my perspective, uh, Scott and uh, and Shearhouse are gun one, and they're they're trying to engage a guy who's outside of this tunnel that we had previously watched him come out of, and we've been cleared to engage uh, for suspected ISIS. Um, and uh, so I'm way out on the outbound on day TV, and am listening to the conversation or listening to the radio chatter rather. Uh, of Scott and uh, Shearhouse trying to engage this guy. Your and, mic is doing that thing again, by the way. Oh, is it? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. And, and so I'm focused on the tunnel that this guy had come out of. Okay. <laughs> and and so I'm probably I probably got a in All my right, field move, of view. Move it away. Move it away. You're too close. Oh no, too much. Don't swallow it. Yeah. yeah. All right. There we so go. so so around this tunnel that this guy had come out of, uh, which was really well covered and concealed with a, uh, some kind of a, an opening, uh, or a door that they had built to, to blend into the background, which was sand. Um, I had probably a 40 meter box, uh, around this entrance to this, this cave or tunnel or whatever that was they were coming out of. Well, I hear Scott 
calling over the radio, engaging with 30. Okay. So I'm like, sweet. So I'm, I'm was to missile and I'm, I'm ready to engage the tunnel. And the idea, the plan was Scott, Scott and Sharehouse were going to engage the guy who was outside of the tunnel, who had come out of that tunnel. And I was going to drop a hellfire into the tunnel to, to detonate whatever might be in there or whatever secondary devices might be in there to explode. <laughs> I hear Scott, you know, saying engaging, engaging, engaging. And all of a sudden, <laughs> all of a sudden I see, uh, dust kicking up around the tunnel entrance and i'm like oh they're really close you know that's all that's all i was thinking i i couldn't like i i'm 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 completely tunnel vision at this point i'm just looking at this little monitor in front of me and i'm and i'm working my weapon system and tim is flying (laughs) and all of a sudden i see you know neo from the matrix dodging (laughs) 30 millimeter cannon fire (laughs) <laughs> and there is there is flack and dust and stuff and everything kicking up around this guy and he's sprinting you know he's the fastest guy in Iraq and and I hear I hear I hear Tim say you know gun one you know pull off and I hear Scott Roger him and uh in in my video I see this guy lift up this lid to this entrance of the cave and crawl into it and right when he closed it Tim says, okay, clear to fire. And I'm like, hmm, all right, clear to fire. So, so I fire a, uh, uh, a fuse delayed Romeo hellfire into the entrance of this cave and it lands just about the time that that guy was done putting that door back into the space. So as soon, as soon as he closed that door and turned around to his buddies and said that we're good, uh, he got a little surprise from a, uh, you know, from so I got to I got to jump in here because I've watched that video <laughs> okay. many times. Okay, <laughs> and the timing of that video is so important because everything yeah, really you is. said is a hundred percent correct. Like I, I remember watching the dust <laughs> float across the screen where they were trying to engage, you know, from the lead aircraft. And as I recall, the timing, <laughs> you you pulled the trigger and. You launch that missile, and that missile's like in the air, like it is arming at like whatever it was, like nine G's and nine hundred miles an hour. It's off the rail. It's it's in the air. It's going to that refrigerator door or whatever. Mach one point three, I believe. And um, as that thing <laughs> leaves your rail, like it's already in the air, like your that missile is going in that cave, and that guy runs into your screen. Like I mean, he literally like <laughs> one second before the impact, yeah. he runs into the screen and jumps into that hole. And just, I mean, again, not to, the door. not to make life of it, life of it but um, yeah. I mean, the yeah. timing of it was just like, it, it was unbelievable to watch. You're you couldn't like, have oh planned it. Exactly. Yeah, you couldn't have planned yeah, it better. It was, it's wild. Le- legitimately, as soon as he closed the door and got it settled into place, the, the hellfire hit. He may have said something to the effect of like, I made it boys or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I beat, I beat, I beat the Americans today. Yeah. <laughs> and then that was not the case. In fact, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a wild video to watch. There, there was a few wild videos from that deployment. I remember the one um, from the big engagement in Syria a couple mm-hmm. months before that. And, you know, watching the tape, you, you don't notice. They didn't notice it in, in the moment. But there's one point where those guys are engaging these, these you know, dudes everywhere. And, um, and they don't notice it. But one guy decides he's going to jump into this uh, trench, this little, like, <laughs> like, like water, yeah. you know, whatever runoff creek. 
and he's going to wait it out. Like everybody else is getting just blasted. He's going to wait it out. And then like 10 minutes later, they're coming in and they're shooting rockets at these other guys. And well, one of the rockets falls short, falls right into that trench where that dude had been. (laughs) And they never knew it at the time, but it was going back on the playback. And they're like, holy cow, look at that. You know? Uh, So it's, it's wild. And yeah, I mean, the end of the day, I've had this conversation with almost everyone who who's come on the show where, you know, you don't go through the stuff and do the things that we did without being able to walk away from it and sort of compartmentalize it. So, so I know we're laughing and probably if you're listening to this podcast, you're, you're already understanding this anyway. So it's not like I'm worried about, you know, uh, anyone not understanding the, the sort of, uh, macabre humor that comes from, from fighting and, and, and doing these things, but, but it is a part of it. I mean, you see these things and yep, I got it, you know, some some lives were taken but they were also bad guys like there was no there's no ambiguity about the dude who closed the refrigerator door that he was there you know looking for cell phone signal or some you know some weird excuse that you've always kind of heard about after an engagement um those guys were bad and they they, you know had they not been doing bad things bad things wouldn't have happened to them well they uh, were they were brian they were isis and uh all anyone all anyone needs to do if they take offense to anything we said Hey, go look at the videos prior to our arrival. What ISIS was doing to the locals? And then, yeah, absolutely. You know, 100%. If, yeah, yeah. if you if you're not upset, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. Not, that that guy wasn't Puxatani Phil. He wasn't coming out looking for a shadow. That's for sure. So, <laughs> um, the, you know, the funny thing about that is, you know, because like I said, I was gun one, and of course, yeah, those that gun was just abysmal. And uh, yeah, I wish I wish we would have been able. to, to you know eliminate the threat but i'm kind of glad we didn't because when when joe dropped that missile down that refrigerator door um because it was i mean you got to think about this these these guys are crafty they're very mate they, oh, yeah. they, they work with little um and and they can they can do a lot but uh so you know this guy goes down in this refrigerator door but when that missile dropped i remember coming in back behind to re-engage but we really didn't know what had taken place so as we're flying over i just remember and i don't know if it was our um i don't know if our fleer caught it or if joe's fleer caught it but as that thing kind of just when he hit and that it just kind of imploded everything opened up and you could just see it was like ants crawling inside this thing yeah it was was everywhere man it was yeah there were like eight guys inside that thing man and it was like holy you know and so obviously that you know, the, the engagement got to be a little bit longer, but, uh, but yeah, th- this is crazy, you know, and to see that guy just, I'm sitting in the back seat, just trying to get sheer house, you know, I'm trying to keep it nice and steady for him. And I'm just like, golly, this dude is just dodging everything. Yeah, it was pretty funny though. <clears throat> well, and, and for me, um, because I, you know, everything that I experienced in, in Baton Rouge, had kind of set me up for success uh, in Iraq because for me, I, every <clears throat> I kept waiting, right? Like so, you know, that was my first deployment, and and here you hear all the stories from guys like Scott who had been there from the initial surge, and and Brian uh, who had been there since the early two thousands, and you guys have multiple deployments, and <clears throat> really my hats off for you guys, and uh, it, it's just incredible. Uh, the experience you guys bring to the table in, in, in combat. Um, but for me, I'd kept waiting, right? Uh, like everything was like, okay, so what's next? Um, yeah. 
until that experience. <clears throat> and when, when that hellfire peeled the mouth of that cave open, and us, because we had been seeing, for people who don't understand, those little tunnels and caves, those are everywhere. Everywhere you go in Iraq, there are, we would see those openings to those caves and those coverings for the caves, and we had we would identify them. But we wouldn't engage them because we wouldn't have, you know, for, for lack of better terms, a probable cause or a positive identification to yeah. engage those targets. So we're not we're not just out there wasting taxpayers' dollars on things that we suspect might be a threat down the road. Yeah. Um, but until but until that hellfire engagement, to me, the war wasn't really serious or it wasn't real, I guess, because everything yeah. else was was me and Scott working out or me and the commander talking shit and having fun and chasing down the Phantom Slammer. Um, none of it, none of it was real or none of it was like a threat to me as a person until that cave peeled back and I saw all the guys that were tucked away inside of that. And then I realized every time we saw one of those openings, there's potential of 10 to 12 ISIS fighters, not just guys, not just dudes out farming and landing and trying to survive in the desert. It was fucking ISIS fighters. Every time we passed by one of those things, to, in my mind at that point from then on, there were 10 or 12 guys who might want to try to kill me or, or somebody else that was friendly to me, you yeah. know? And, and so to me, that was an eye-opening event, you know? Yeah. No, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there was a ton of those caves. I, it's it's interesting because my first tour in Iraq was many years before that, and caves, you know, that wasn't the the technique. But I know you guys were were finding a lot of that stuff. And then when you moved up north or Beale, we'd fly around Mosul. In fact, I think Derek, it was yep. you in the other aircraft. I think you were flying with um, uh, not Tim, the other SP Ryan. That was yep. And then I think was Joe was with me. Day, yeah, it was, it was me. Yeah, it was Scott. Because we yeah, because yeah, we got low that day and we were joking about fifty eight stuff. Yeah, it was it was. Scott. Oh yeah, yeah, maybe it was. Yeah, and I, I I know Joe was with me at least one of these days, and we were we were flying around. I mean, we were probably late breaking some rule because we were flying low in the Apache. You know, didn't like us to fly below <laughs> yeah, five hundred feet or something. But heaven um, forbid. Yeah, it's scary down there. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but l- looking into those caves and stuff, and yeah, you're right. I mean, that whole area there's just so much opportunity for places to hide, which is wild when you think about it because it's the desert, you know. Like you just yep. don't think of it in those terms. But yeah, they were crafty, uh, crafty dudes. Yeah. We found uh, on that flight, I, I we found uh, like full size Connexes. Like imagine the tail end of like a semi truck with you know the yeah, the whole you know storage area like buried in the ground. Yeah. That's right, uh, and that was pretty That's common. Yeah, yeah. how about that? No, yeah, it true. wasn't. Yeah, but uh, the reality is, we spent a lot of our time ferrying aircraft back and forth <laughs> to various places, and uh, I think I think it's probably a good time to to wrap it up with the 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 t- the titular story of this episode, uh, because we had aircraft in gosh, well, we had Al Assad, we had Syria, Taji. we had QS, we had Taji, we had Erbil. we had aircraft everywhere. And, and of course, Joe could explain it better, but maintenance with something like an Apache, you can't just do it out on the ramp. There are certain things that have to be done at certain times, and there's only certain places you could do it. So we would have to rotate these aircraft around because one aircraft's getting ready for a full phase maintenance, so you got to get it to Taji to do that. So a lot of a lot of my flight time, actually, on that deployment was, was ferry flights from one place to another. Uh, but, but we did fly from Erbil to Taji a few times, which was about an hour or so. And then, uh, and, and Joe and I did a lot of those flights together 
But yeah. there was this one flight in particular, and I don't know who the best person is to tell the story. It's not me, but uh, but one of you can tell the the, the fateful flight of of Rider Two Seven. Probably Scott. <laughs> Well, well, let me, let, let me let me preface it. I'll preface it, and here's here's the irony. Um, I don't I don't know that you remember Brian, but when we, you and I were departing from Erbil to Taji, I was doing all my in-flight maintenance checks. Do you remember that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was actually failing the ETF check, dude. And, uh, you were like, how's it looking up there, Joe? And, and I would be, I would have the fail message on my MPD and I'd be like, it's good, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you, you were logging PIC time for that flight. So that, that's on you. Yeah. That's... <laughs> so, I would tell you and, and I'll, I'll, and I'd be like, oh, it's good, sir. Like, hey, I'm just going to do another check. And then I repeat the same check. <laughs> I would repeat the same check that I was doing and it would fail again. And, oh, yeah. And so, in favor of us just getting the aircraft to Tology so they could do maintenance on it, I would tell you that it was good. <laughs> and when I showed up, Terry was like, how's it looking? I was like, hey, engine one is spotted out. <laughs> because, because, A, I knew that we were going light and we could make yeah. it single engine. And, B, yeah. I knew that we had to just get the damn thing there <laughs> and get the phase done on it. <laughs> well, it's not like you and I landed with uh, finding one of the panels completely undone. Oh, 100%. Do you remember that? The, yeah, the B500 panel. <laughs> we get out of the I aircraft, we were flying that. around for like four hours, and we get out, and I can't remember which one of us said it, but we're like, did you undo that? Like, we had literally just gotten out of the cockpit. You're like, did you undo that? No? What do you mean? And then we're looking at it, we're like, how did we both not see that that is not attached at all? And it just held there by magic and friction. Same way you didn't but, see uh, the center line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right yeah well, let's get back on task okay. so, so right. scott, scott can tell the story. scott you finish this out man because it's hilarious <laughs> no, i mean so i think we were it was derek and i and we were we were chalk too right we were gun two that yeah. night yes. yeah yeah you, so you guys yeah so we had left we'd gone down to taji you guys were swapping we were swapping the aircraft and uh it was a day flight down we had stopped we'd I think we ate lunch yeah. um, at that horrible little chow hall there. And yeah. then uh, we were getting ready to come back. Yeah, it was nighttime. I remember coming back and we yeah. were flying back from Taji up to uh, Erbil. And we were, you know, we hadn't really got into um, Erbil's airspace. And I, I think they were class C, right? Or what? I, I don't know what they had them charted as, but. Um, yeah, anyway, I mean, it was essentially a class C. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And I just remember, you know, we're our normal banter on the radio. And I just remember you saying, hey, I'm going to make the initial call to these guys, you know, before we enter their airspace. So well, we were probably, what, 25 nautical we miles were, out? We, we were 25 nautical miles out. There's just yeah. like we were nowhere near those guys. No. So we were, I think we were about 25 nautical miles out. And I remember <laughs> Brian making the call. And you had to make the call multiple times because obviously – so in Erbil on their air traffic control, it was it was locals or the the Iraqis that worked it. So the language barrier was very very difficult to to deal with point blank period. Um, and they just couldn't say rider. They had to roll those R's. Rida is kind of how they would come back with it. So 
and I remember Brian calling in and telling him, Hey, we're, you know, 25 miles out to whatever direction we were, uh, inbound for whatever ramp we had parked at. And, uh, I just remember the guy calling back and he just kept calling like, Ryder, where are you? And I remember you, <laughs> this is where the frustration started sitting. And like, dude, we're like 25 nautical miles to whatever location. And we're still flying we're continuing in and it kind of got silent i remember it went silent for a little bit like hey yeah did he goes directions where are we supposed to go you know what's this what are we doing so obviously we just kind of made a judgment call and and we just kept you know flying and i remember brian calling him back and when brian called him back like this guy had just lost his shit um he was just like rider you crossed my center line and i just remember we're like derek and i are dying laughing we're like what is this guy talking about crossing a center line so of course you know, immediately i guarantee you everybody pulls up their apps on both displays yeah. and we're like look oh, yeah center oh, line. what are you shit. talking about it's like we haven't oh shit dude like we haven't done anything and so at this point i think we were 20 probably within 20 nautical miles and uh, we're just continuing to fly and this he's not really giving us direction he's just yelling at us like yeah, just, he's just angry yeah he's no, angry. he was, he was he, furious he was pissed. <laughs> he's just like I got two sevens. just yelling now he's yelling over the radio and this is like getting us nowhere because we've got to come in to land and uh i just remember <laughs> we're all like what the fuck's this guy talking about and as we continue to fly, he keeps yelling, and then Brian starts getting a little more pissed off. <laughs> so he, he starts getting back at the guy in ATC. He's like, "I oh, got damn his call sign or Bill Tower," and you just told him you said or Bill Tower. No, we will fly in here, and we will land at this point. And you got, he just is so pissed well, off. Well, and there there was one point because I was. Brian, you were in the back seat, and I was just hanging yeah. out in the front, yeah. and uh, we were bullshitting, and uh, and you're like, okay, I'm gonna make the call. I'm like, sweet, and uh, so I'm sitting there, and I'm I'm looking at the moving maps and <clears throat> giving you directs and doing all the the stuff and the things that a front seater does, and uh, he goes, where are you? You know, and I I can't replicate the accent because I'm just horrible <laughs> with accents, and and. and <laughs> And, you know, I was still junior enough to where I was like, oh, shit, that doesn't sound good. And you're and so we're sitting there and he's like, he's, he's like, where are you? And you give him our location and we're flying along. And he goes, Ryder 27, I have you on my screen. <laughs> and it. I'm like, oh, shit. And then <laughs> Brian comes back and he's like. He keys the mic and he's like, "Okay, yeah, yep, exactly, exactly. <laughs> like, okay." He said, like, he said um, okay." <laughs> and all I can remember thinking in the front seat is like, "God, the balls on this guy to be back there just telling the ATC, like, all right, bro, what are you gonna do about it?" <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, I, I was very confused what his concern was because because what I remember telling Joe right before I made the call. Or, or a little bit before. I don't know if we were quite as far, 20 miles, but, but we were definitely outside of their airspace. And I remember very vividly saying to Joe and maybe even Keaton and Mike and telling you guys, say, hey, I'm going to start coming over to the left because if we keep going this way, we are going to get kind of, of along their center line. Because yeah. Taji is almost due south, if I remember, due south. So, I mean, you're yeah. almost heading, a, a due north heading to get to Erbil. And That's their correct. main runway was kind of like a 
a three five or something. So it was a little bit cockeyed, was almost due north, but it wasn't quite. And so we were getting, you know, close enough where it's like, okay, large aircraft do come in here. We're going to get in the way. So I'm going to start scooting over to the left. And I remember very vividly saying that. Um, and so I was very confused when he called me and exactly, he says, I have you on my screen. And, <laughs> and then he told and, you he captured it. Yep. Yeah. He recorded it. <laughs> I, I recorded it on the screen and he's, and he's losing his stuff. And I'm just like, all right, cool. Yep. And I think I remember saying one point, I was like, okay, can I land? Like, yeah. I was like, I yeah. don't know what yeah. you want me to do with this information, but That's I'm still exactly flying you <laughs> towards your airfield and I intend to land and I just need something <laughs> other than you're angry. And, um, it was, Dude, there, there was like a, there was like a, it was like a four minute period where he didn't even talk yeah. to us. Like he yelled at us and berated us and then said nothing. And then yeah. Brian, you came, I remember you came back on and you said, Hey tower, you know, this is rider two seven. Uh, as long as it's good with you, we're going to proceed like North and stay <laughs> West of the airfield. And then we'll cross the active, uh, to park. And he came back and he was like, he was like, you will not cross. He, he said, okay, Ryder, but I will advise when you can cross the active runway. And you're like, oh, Roger, we will stand by for your advisement. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then we went to the FARP, right? So if you guys remember, yeah, there was that, the main runway, then there was the little side runway that no that one used except too. rotary wing. And, and the FARP was on the north side and it was near parking. So we roll into the FARP, we get gas. And I think the whole time that's all we're talking about is this guy losing his shit on us. And yeah. then, and then Joe, you'll probably remember this. So I, I'm like, okay, you guys ready? Yeah, we're ready. Okay. So we had to basically take off out of the FARP and just kind of do this high hover and then circle back in to, to right. park. To, to and, North um, Yeah, to North Ram. Yeah. So I, so yeah. I, I said, all right, I'm gonna call. So, so already we're like on pens and needles with this guy. <laughs> and I, and I call and he comes back and it's, it's so garbled and gibberish. Illegible. And I, yeah. yeah, I mean, it was just unbelievable. And I, and I said, so I repeated back what I thought he had said. And I did that very purposefully because it's like, okay, I don't know if he said this. So I'm going to repeat it back and he's going to tell me if I'm wrong. I said, Roger, understand Rider 27 flight is cleared to depart the FARP for North Ramp. Oh, and he lost it. I did not clear you. And I'm just like, okay, Jesus. Yeah. I was so scared. I, thought, I, 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 I was certain that where... we were all going to lose our wings. <laughs> nah, man, I didn't care. Where we were in the farm and where you guys just kept, he kept screaming at us and you were like, fuck it we're going to parking and like we just ended up like taking off and like looping back around and parking it yeah i think we did yeah that's exactly yeah we yeah we did because yeah because it was it was just like a pissing contest with that guy and we were just Mm -hmm. not having it and we were like you know what screw you dude we're we're gonna and i think i think somebody even came over the the mic and told him like yeah we're going to parking and we just (laughs) took off. that was brian dude he was like yeah yeah, we're doing that. Well, I mean, the yeah. parking pads were like 25 yards from where we were. Yeah. Yeah, you're not getting in anyone's way. I mean, God, but he was so mad. Just, and he, he was, he was it, like, the more angry he got, he rolled his R's even harder. Like, yeah. yeah. And he just kept screaming at us. And I'm like, what in this? Well, Scott, it, it probably didn't help that guys were like flying back to the FOB every day. And when they would call in with Tower, instead of just saying, hey, this is Rider 27, everybody was like, hey, this is Rider. Like, it was like a remix for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> we started rolling our I mean, you guys are asking for it. Uh, well, yeah. they had they had the they had the hot chick up there, and then they had him. You know what I mean? So it was like yeah, a crap he was dude. an angry dude. 
He yeah. was an angry dude. Mm-hmm. He was known mm-hmm. for that. Yeah, not the position you want to be prince. in if you are, you know, if you suffer from anger issues. You don't want to be <laughs> ATC guy. I don't know. You know who? You know who had to do damage control for that? I think probably the prince of the north. Yeah, he did. Hundred percent. Oh, I, I remember talking you. to the prince about it. Yeah. I can tell you when we came in the next day and we had the, uh, you know, whoever decided to take their Crayola crayons and draw it on the map. Of our location versus what Dude, I'll, we I'll tell you exactly who the fuck that was. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. oh I know exactly gosh. who you're talking about. Oh so that so that was that was funny too because <laughs> that's one of my favorite deployment stories because I, I'm not gonna get into the details of it, but the bottom mm-hmm. line is that we had like come off of shift that night and handed over to the guys that were working for the next twelve hours and we had said, Hey, if you guys get a minute watch our video from our flight last night. Like it was hilarious. Like we, we knew that we had not done anything wrong procedurally. Like we, we, if you go back and watch and listen to the radio calls, our distance from the airfield was exactly what it was supposed to be when we called where we were supposed to be. Well, so somebody went back and kind of, they did their own interpretation of our flight and plotted on the map. And so we're doing shift change and we're about to go to bed. (laughs) We're all tired and grumpy and, and this guy says, hey, can I talk to you guys? And we're like, uh, yeah, sure, what's up? And he's like, well, you know, I plotted this on the map, and I think that you guys might have been pretty close to going over the center line. And I'll never forget it because we were all just like nobody said anything. Like it was just like silence, like a minute of silence. And then Brian just went, fuck you, man. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then we just went and ate. We just walked away and ate. <laughs> we, went, we went to breakfast and laughed yeah. about it some more, dude. Yeah. Dude, you know what? No. Mm, fuck that guy. Don't All get right. Joe started. Don't get Joe started. It was funny. Hey, but you know what? Joe, 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 I had a closed door conversation with that motherfucker, and the problem was solved afterwards. Joe, you had you had open door conversations with that guy as well. The, the warrant officers had many open door discussions. To the point, I don't know if you guys remember, but I pulled you guys aside and made you apologize to the crew chiefs one day for venting in public. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was probably me, but you know. that was that was more Scott than anyone else. But God bless you, Scott. <laughs> no, that I I do remember being being upset that that I was being told I was wrong. I don't like to be oh. wrong, but I was pretty sure I was right. Like I just remember saying we're not we're we're gonna turn so that doesn't happen. But that's mm-hmm. okay. You guys know like the like the Kermit meme where he's like sipping his tea like that. I, that was me with my drip drop when that was happening. <laughs> I was just like sipping my drip drop. <laughs> <laughs> oh lord uh, dude i'll never forget sitting in the in the farp after we landed after that dude yelled at us and uh me me and me and brian are laughing about it of course i paused the video no no i forgot to pause the tape that was part of the problem i forgot to pause the tape and brian and i are sitting there mimicking the conversation <laughs> laughing about it <laughs> You know, what I think color. people need to realize is like there's you know we tell these stories and we we laugh and joke about it which it's kind of it, it's fun because we do we look back on it and it's just hilarious I don't care who you are um, mm, it's yeah. nothing to do with being unprofessional it's just everything to do with like you know like that is an uptight ass job like the butthole pucker factor of getting in a helicopter and going and doing what you have to do is there, but you got to make light of the situations. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's fun to do that because everybody hears the serious side of everything all the time about, you yeah. know, this, that war, whatever it is. But if you, if you can't decompress by laughing and joking or even having these things in this, you know, 
it's just you're never gonna you're always just gonna be uptight so but yeah i think i think seeing the the lighter side of it especially that night that shit was hilarious i don't care who you are yeah, not everyone gets to decompress by yelling at people for leaving the toilet seat up in the uh, <laughs> in the Porta Johns. Or, like or, sli- or, or the old woman slamming the door, sir. Or yeah. the old woman slamming the door. Paula yeah. Dean. She, Poor old Paula. she learned she learned something that day. <laughs> she did learn that day. <laughs> don't don't mess around. But uh, but no, I think uh, I think Scott, your comments are are exactly exactly why i wanted to do this because um it, it is it's easy to focus on the serious side and it and it of course it is serious and um we've all seen that uh in a lot of different ways but the the reality is 99 percent of it of the time maybe i'm exaggerating that number is is not serious it's a lot of kind of goofing around and and just making light of things that that maybe uh to the untrained eye does seem serious but to us it's just an, another normal day but strapping on a an aircraft and going to fly around i mean just just that in and of itself is dangerous i mean helicopters uh like i tell people airplanes want to fly air helicopters want to beat themselves to the death uh on the ground with you in it um and so putting one on for six eight hours flying around is uh is dangerous enough so you got to find the humor and there was definitely a lot of humor on that tour um and really every tour i think i think the this is just a snapshot of, of anyone's deployment and all the funny things that you see and, and do. Yeah. But, um, but I appreciate you guys taking a time here on a Saturday afternoon. I, we, we've been planning to do this for quite some time and, and hopefully people listening, uh, can, can enjoy it. Obviously some of these jokes and stories won't be, uh, as funny in the telling as they were in the living. But, um, if nothing else, it gives you kind of a snapshot into, into the life behind the curtain. So, uh, I want to thank you guys for, for doing it and, and thank you all for your service because uh, um, the, the reality is that you all served at a time where there was a lot going on and arguably there may still be a lot going on the way things are going on in the news right now. So, um, but uh, yeah. but uh, we'll keep those guys in our prayers. But no matter how serious things are, there's there's definitely some some shenanigans going on with people as well. So everyone everyone who served has got some funny stories and. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to have had some funny stories with you guys for sure. Appreciate you for having us. Good times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't have gone down range with a better group of guys. Thank you so much. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll end it here and, uh, thanks for participating guys. Well, a big thank you to Derek, Joe, and Scott for taking time out of their weekend to uh, sit down and talk with me, have a couple drinks, and kind of reminisce about old times. And uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed listening to it. Got a little uh, peek behind the curtain of what it's like to be a, well, a military pilot, but also probably the military in general. We uh, we tend to goof off when we're not doing something pretty serious. And, uh, you know, as we said in the uh, interview, it's not that we didn't take anything that we did seriously or the gravity of the situations that we were in. But, uh, you know, you got to let off some steam, and uh, I think we had a, a pretty good time and uh, pretty good ways of doing that, and never never got anyone hurt, so I think we did okay. I uh, just want to say a big thank you as well to all the people supporting the show, particularly uh, people support through Patreon. Uh, if you're interested in supporting, you can find the Patreon link in the show notes. But, uh, again, the biggest way you can support the show, honestly, is uh, just continue to listen and share with your friends, and I really appreciate it. Just a reminder that all the comments made by the guests and hosts represent themselves and not the Department of Defense or any private business. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you guys later. Take care.